a praying life. And through this series, the underlying theme is not just that to teach you how to pray, as in here's the formula, here's the, in a sense, the magic words to pray to get God's attention. This is actually a, a series going through and helping us to really know God. And the greater that we know God and the more that we rely upon Him in the big things and also the seemingly small and mundane things of our life. Through this series, we looked at the attitude of prayer to come to God like little children. We've talked about asking God in God-only prayers. God, only you can do this prayers in the big mountain-moving prayers of our life. We've talked about the access we have to God directly to God and the power of the Holy Spirit in the name and the authority of Jesus. Today we're talking about the ache of prayer. When you're praying to God and it just hurts because it's coming out of the hurt of our life. And from the very beginning of our lives, we were conceived, you grew inside of your mother, the birth, and as a, as a husband, and standing there totally helpless, watching the three of my children born. All three of my children were, were born by C-section because of my son's very large head in the beginning, so they all had to be C-sectioned after that. We had very calm and relaxed births. My wife never threatened me. She never told me she hated me. So they're very calm births. And as they pull the child out, as a husband and as a father, and, and my wife sitting there laying back and not being able to see anything and just hearing the most sweet sound were the tears or the cry of the baby and the first time. The little Meh. And that's a wonderful sound. Afterward, it's kind of annoying and it keeps going for years. But in the early days, we start off our lives with crying. But you know what the Bible says? In Romans chapter number 8, verses 22 and 23, it says this, For we know that the whole creation, all of creation, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In other words, just like a mother crying out in pain. And not only the creation, but we ourselves are crying. First fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Someday we're going to be in the very presence of God in heaven. His kingdom's going to come. Heaven's going to be there. The Bible says there's no tears in heaven and there's no nighttime. Everything's going to be wonderful. But in the meantime, we're groaning out, and it says, from our inward parts. And if you've ever cried and has really cried and you know, your, your stomach actually hurts afterwards and the, the, the uncontrollable tears and the times when you go, God, I am hurting here. That's what it's speaking of. It says all of creation. So with, as we begin this morning, I want you to review in your mind what your heart cry is. And it may be, like myself, be honest with you, I've never really, really been sick. I mean, I've had man colds and they are hard. <laughs> medically proven that men have worse colds than women. But you know, really, I've not really personally really suffered. I've often looked back upon my life and reviewed it and said, God, why have you been so kind to me, a person that did not deserve it? We've had family members pass away, and there's been times of crying out to God. There's been times when we've waited on diagnoses, and you cry out to God, God, what are you doing here? 
Maybe your cry, your heart cry is financial. Maybe it's in regards to your education. Oh, I cannot do this on my own. It's relational. With the ups and downs of relationship, maybe it's a broken marriage or it's, it's tension within the marriage or tension within the home with the children. And it's relational in the workplace in regards to your interactions with others. Whatever your heart cry is, and I'm being very broad here, no two laments in the Bible are exactly the same because no one's story is exactly the same. Your story is unique. So as we think about the heart cries, there's a thing called a lament. It's when your physical tears turn into a prayer to God. And really, laments aren't something I particularly enjoy talking about. Because laments are the times when things are really, really hard. We look throughout the Bible, there's laments from the beginning to the end. There's a book in the Bible written by the prophet Jeremiah called Lamentations, which are laments. And he's crying out to God and weeping over, over the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. About a third of the book of, the, of Psalms in the Bible are laments. Uh, we look at large sections of the book of Job, our laments, uh, the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, many of the minor prophets, which are the small prophet books in the end of the Old Testament. They are laments before God, crying out to God, saying, God, this is my heart cry. My physical tears are now turning into a prayer to you. A, a lament, though, is different than just crying because a lament is a form of a prayer. It's more than just the expression of sorrow and I'm really sad at this circumstance or more than just the, the venting of emotion because a lament is, first of all, you're talking to God, but it's also you're pouring out your fears, your frustrations and your sorrow. And the purpose is it ultimately takes you back to trusting God rather than trusting in your circumstances and yourself or others around you, you turn that around and the purpose of it isn't just to go, I feel better now, I had a good cry. It is now I am totally trusting upon God because I know that He's the only one that can handle the situation. He's the only one that can perform. This is a divinely given invitation by God. So it doesn't look upon our tears and our laments as you weak Christian. It's an invitation by God to say, I want to hear your sorrow. I want to hear your frustration. I want you to express your fears. Our principle for today is this. A prayer of lament turns toward God when sorrow tempts you to run from him. Prayer of lament turns you towards God when sorrow tempts you to run from him. To cry is absolutely human. Even real men cry. But to lament is really Christian. I don't see anywhere where the unsaved people have the ability to lament before God. It's the Christians that are able to come before God in that trust. Psalm 13 is a psalm written by David who later became King David. 
But at this time in his life, he is a young shepherd. He kills Goliath. He becomes the son-in-law of the king. He's anointed by the prophet Samuel to become the next king of Israel. And the current king of Israel, a man named Saul, is his father-in-law. But he's not a very good, loving, endearing father-in-law because he says, if you've been anointed to be the next king of Israel, I'm going to kill you. And he begins to chase David all over Israel. And so during this time, when this Psalm 13 is being written, David is literally running for his life. He's hiding in caves. If he is caught by Saul, Saul says, I'm going to kill you. And he tried on a number of different occasions. He threw spears at at David. He tried to kill David. And David miraculously, really by God's providence, got away. But this wasn't a time when David goes, it's okay, someday I'll be king. In the meantime, I'll just suffer in silence and happiness because it's wonderful to be part of God's plan and purpose. He's going here and says, God, what are you doing here? I'm supposed to be your anointed king, yes, I'm running, yet I'm running for my life. And I am feeling like I'm all by myself. Everyone else is seemingly comfortable in their homes. And I'm sitting here in a cave hiding, constantly running. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. And everyone else around me is looking at me going, boy, is God really really on his side? Because certainly only good things happen to good people, but bad things happen to bad people. Why is David suffering? In 1 Samuel chapter number 20, verse 3, David says this. This is exactly his quote. There is but a step between me and death. I could die at any moment. Let's read Psalm 13 together. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen for you to follow. I'm not going to try to read it the way he would have read it because I, I can't cry it out. I can't fake the tears. But I want you to think about the emotion behind this. This isn't the happy God, you're a wonderful prayer. This is God, I'm empty. I need you prayer. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. When our wills are broken by the reality of our circumstances, when we go beyond the simple, good, I'm fine, how are you, sort of things, where everything's supposed to be smooth and easy, and we go back to God and say, God, how long, O Lord? We're going to look this morning at four elements that we find in this psalm of a lament. It begins with turn to God. Secondly is bring your complaint, ask for help, and then finally choose to trust. And we're going to have an underlying question through this entire message, which I want you to review this yourself. 
Because for the sake of time, I can't give you every example and I can't touch every opportunity. So I want you to take this on yourself and take some personal responsibility for your own prayer life here and ask yourself this question. What does this look like in my prayer life? Let's begin with the first. This is not an obvious because it's not necessarily natural. When we're going through hard times, first of all, turn to God. In our society today, we expect the government to take care of us. We expect the doctor to to take care of us. We expect other people, we expect teachers to teach our children. We expect, expect other people to provide for us. Well, here we're saying to ourselves, I'm not going to rely upon any other person, any other form of government. I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to turn to God. And it begins in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This is a conscious choice to turn to God first. When outwardly and the naturally, it's so natural to turn to others or turn to yourself or just go and become stoic and to say, well, I'll just suffer through this. We naturally turn inwardly. It's the common response. If somebody asked you today, How are you today? Your stock standard response is going to be good. I'm fine. I'm well. And essentially that is saying, leave me alone. I don't want to talk about it. I'm good. I'm fine. But if anyone actually said, how are you today? And you burst into tears and you say, oh, you're so glad you asked. Let me tell you about how I'm really doing this week and what's really going on in my life. And to be honest with you, that's where as a church family, we want to get to. We want to get past the surface level of, of hi and goodbye. I'm good. I'm fine. Everything's well. We want to get to the heart and really be able to come alongside you and to help you and develop you. But first of all, your, our responsibility is to turn to God. Psalm 20 verse 1 says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. In many ways, we forget, and of course you're in church now, so it's it's, it's the most spiritual thing to say. Of course we pray to God, and we only focus upon Him. And any time I'm in trouble, I turn straight to God. But do do we, and I point to myself as well, do we really do that? We turn to God first. We often think in our minds that it becomes like hide and seek. We're hiding and and God's seeking us and he kind of got bored and he forgot to actually look for us. Now, someday you'll meet my sister, Melissa and Melanie, if you haven't met them already. They're wonderful. We get along really, really well. But I am and will forever be the older brother. And so therefore, I got blamed for lots of things that weren't necessarily my fault. But part of that is also when you play with younger sisters and play hide and seek with them, but you get bored. So you go inside and you start playing and doing whatever you want to do and your sisters are still outside hiding from you. And you think to yourself, that's kind of how God is. I'm out here in, in the game of life. I'm working in the game of life. I'm playing the game and God is totally ignoring me inside doing something else because he's not interested. As a big brother, I did that on more than 
three or four occasions, where you, your sisters are outside for a very long time and they come in angry. Where were you? And of course, you get blamed for things. I was playing. I just hadn't found them yet. David asked this question. How long will you hide your face from me? When we pray and no one answers, we often feel deserted. When you ask that question, what does this look like in my prayer life when I turn to God? Are you naturally turning to Him first? Or are you trying all the other opportunities and circumstances and then turning to God in the end? We also, beyond just turn to God, is bring your complaint. In the Explore the Bible classes on Friday, they just finished Job, and now they're going into Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is such an encouraging book. It begins with vanity of vanities, all is but vanity, or emptiness about emptiness, all is but emptiness. And moving on from that, you have Job. And Job is a man who had incredible wealth and lost it all. He had family, and the family passed away. His wealth passed away. His reputation was gone. His friends were not really that friendly because they go and they, they begin to blame him and tell him how he must be a really horrible person that God is judging. And is the only person that survived in his family because his servants were killed, uh, his wealth was gone, his children were killed, was his incredibly encouraging wife. And his encouraging wife says, Job, just curse God and die. What encouraging words. A lament is not cursing God and pointing your finger at God and saying, God, you've done all this as if you were angry with him. A lament is simply expressing the emotion and the feelings that we're feeling. And that's what David is, says here. He begins with another how long statement. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? This is his complaint. How long am I going to have to feel this way, God? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This begins to change our perspective. It changes our perspective between my timing, which honestly, and maybe you're the same way. If I pray, I, 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 I kind of anticipate amen at the end of the prayer and boom, God's provided instantly. And if it's more than a few seconds, it becomes like, hurry up already. It's, going through, it's like going through the drive through line and somebody in front of you messed up their order. And you're like, hurry up already. <laughs> and my fries are getting cold. And we expect things so instant. Last night, my internet at home. First of all, Stay off the internet so my internet's faster at home, okay? Because the internet was really slow last night. And I, <laughs> I looked at my wife and said, this is so slow today. Because <laughs> pushing the button makes it go faster. And it makes you feel better as well. And we expect God's timing to align with exactly my timing. But when we begin to see things from His eternal perspective, because He sees the beginning from the end, He knows how we fit into His eternal plan. We can say, God, I am expressing myself to you, but this is totally in your timing, in your control. But I want you to know how I'm feeling. And God allows us to do that in His graciousness. We also have the difference between not just timing versus my timing versus God's timing. We also have the difference between facts and feelings. My feelings and your feelings, that we go up 
And we go down, we go side to side, depending on how sunny or cloudy it is outside. It depends on how happy we are. Depends on how much money's in the in the bank account. Depends on how happy we are. If everyone got along and no one got in trouble at school this week, we're doing great. And everything going along, you think to yourself, my feelings are up and down. God, you must be really blessing me today because everything's happy. But in reality, we see in verse number two, how long must I take counsel my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? The facts are not the same as my feelings. Because if I'm simply going by my heart feelings, you know what the book of Jeremiah says about our hearts? The prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it? If I'm just going by my heart, you ever heard somebody say, just follow your heart? That's incredibly dangerous. If I was following my heart, we get angry, we get mad, we get frustrated at things, and my heart's emotions go up and down. And the Bible says our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I don't want to follow my heart. I want to follow what is true. And, by, and the Bible gives us the opportunity, and God gives us the opportunity to bring our complaints before him. And I like to think of it with our perspective. And have you ever been on a flight, and it's stormy and rainy, and there's thunder outside, and, and you go through the storm. Have you ever been on an airplane, and I like the window seat, because that's my favorite, because I get to look out the window. And as you're flying along, you go through the clouds, and all of a sudden you go, and it's blue sky. And it's perfectly blue sky up above. Below, it's full of rain, clouds, and storms. But now you're above the clouds and everything is sunny and nice. We love to be above the, the clouds and everything's sunny and nice. But in the reality of life, life is down on the ground when it's stormy. Life is not perfect. Life is difficult. You will have times, if you're not experiencing them yet, of times of, of doubt. You'll have times when you feel overwhelmed. Times when you are totally, and needing to be, totally reliant upon God. What does this look like in my prayer life? When you bring your complaint to God. That's not, there's a big difference between a whine, like a whiny child, and a, I'm bringing my lament, my complaint before you, God, and here's my circumstances. We also see the ability to ask God for help. We come to God. We turn to God. We bring our complaint. God allows us to express ourselves. But he doesn't just leave us there and go, good, I feel better now. I vented. And he says, now let's ask God and turn to him for help. Ask for help. Verses 3 and 4 shows us the, the faith that's involved. Because you put this into perspective. David is hiding in caves at this time, and he's crying out to God saying, God, how long am I going to have to be hiding like this? How long? That's one aspect of the prayer. Now he's changing gears, and now he's saying, I'm going to now ask God to provide for me. He asks this, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. There's three requests we see here with David's prayer. David's prayer begins with, God, look at me. 
Do you see me? And he says that the, word, the very first word of verse number three, consider. He's saying here, acknowledge me, look at me. He goes on from that and he asks God, encourage me. And he's asking God to give him encouragement. Because the encouragement comes from this. He says, answer me, O Lord my God, light up my eyes. I'm going from being tearful to now I said, God, I want to smile again. I want to have some brightness in my eyes. I want to see things not from my perspective. Because you think about it, David is sitting in a cave running from his life. He's go- he says, I could die at any time here. God, will you please look at me? Will you give me encouragement? And finally, will you strengthen me? That's physically, emotionally, spiritually. This is where we're asking God to provide. And he says here, God, will you spare my life so the enemies don't don't laugh at me? Not acknowledging sorrow, or rather when we fail to acknowledge the sorrow in our hearts, and we simply say, everything's fine, everything must be wonderful and okay in order to be a good Christian. Not acknowledging sorrow can create a deadly silence that can give in to despair. We can say, well, there's absolutely no hope. Or it can turn to denial, where we say, everything is fine, nothing's wrong. But lament invites us really to dare to hope in God's promises and as we ask for God's help. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity when I was in Bible college, I helped at a, it's called the middle school, which is years six, seven, and eight. In our church, we had a youth group, and it was years six, seven, and eight class. There was one young boy who had a really, really horrible past, and he had been adopted into a family that was a loving Christian family, and the the dad asked me, would you mind just spending some time with my son? And he explained the past, and I was very aware of the young boy's story, and he was a really nice young boy. But the dad says, just, just be aware, you, he will never smile. And I thought, I'm pretty funny. You know, I can get a smirk out of the kid. I mean, obviously, he's just too old, but I can get a smirk out of the boy. I, I couldn't. I spent hours and hours with him, went down, did different activities, and we did actually seemingly fun things. And how was your day? It was good. The abuse that he had experienced and the hurt from the entire, really his entire life, and it was horrible abuse, had brought him to the point where I cannot trust anyone. I can't show weakness or emotion because as soon as I say I'm happy, then it might be robbed of me. And I'll never forget this young man because that's really what David's saying here. God, if you don't do something here, I'm going to be like an emotionless person. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. There's more to stake here than just the physical needs. He's actually saying, God, you promised that I was going to be king one day. You have promises for me. God, you must provide. What does this look like in your prayer life when you ask God for help? Are you asking God to provide things that only he can provide for his glory? 
Notice he turns that around and he doesn't say here, this is for my glory and my comfort. And he goes and goes, says, God, you made promises to me. And if you don't prevail here, then what are people going to say about you? And then finally, in verses five and six, we see the choice to trust. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. Thank God for that transition there. Because it's all well and good to turn to God, to complain and to ask God for help. But now he's acknowledging the fact of who he's really trusting in. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is where the fear turns into active faith. This is the choice to trust. Earlier we read Psalm 20, verse 1, which challenges us to trust in the Lord. In verse 7 of that same psalm, it says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In other words, some trust in the military, some trust in the military might, but in the battle, we only trust in the Lord. Lament begins to turn our attention from an inside lens to a biblical lens. What is it that God is doing in our life? Where is my source of trust in my life? Earlier we mentioned the fact that we've been crying since we were born. The pains of life begin to tear us and we begin to cry. But you know what the Bible says? In Revelation chapter number 21, someday in the future, when Jesus Christ returns and he sets up his kingdom, we'll be standing before him. And it says when Jesus Christ arrives, it says in verse number four of Revelation 21, it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. We have something to trust in God for. We have something to look forward to. Your present circumstances, you may be in the middle of your lament right now, and you don't know what the future is going to hold. David, when he was writing this, had no idea how God was going to provide. He simply said, I'm going to trust in you. You contrast verse number one of Psalm 13. He begins with, how long, O Lord? And he finishes in verse number six, the end of the psalm, and says, he has dealt bountifully with me. The course of six verses, he goes from, I am at the end of myself, to God, thank you for your promises. Thank you that I can trust in you. You have dealt bountifully with me. David's circumstances had not changed. Your circumstances may not change in your timing. My challenge to you is as we pray, we remember God's promises. That's why we have communion today, to help us remember God's promises. But as we reflect upon what Jesus Christ has done and the promises that we have and the hope that we have in your present circumstances, you know verses like God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But as you remember the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross, we have not arrived yet. And God has not forgotten you for a millisecond in all of eternity. He has not forgotten his promises to you. So as you hold the communion in your hand and the bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us on the cross, and the the juice that represents the blood that was shed for the covering, or the Bible says, for the remission of our sin. 
as you hold on to that, and you take that in your own time, in your own way of prayer, and we'll, we'll pray in just a moment. My challenge to you is that you will bring your laments to God. You will bring your hurts and your complaints to Him. But don't remain there. Turn them into trust statements and allow God to work in you and through you.